Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. In this episode of The Bone Beat, we're talking about the push of procedures to the outpatient setting, more specifically, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services proposal to eliminate the inpatient-only list beginning with 266 musculoskeletal services. This is a growing trend that we're seeing in healthcare uh, that's especially affecting surgical specialties like uh, orthopedic surgery. And if finalized, this rule would have a big impact on patient care. Here to talk about that with us today is AAOS President Dr. Joseph A. Bosco. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome, Christian. And we also have with us Dr. Daniel Murray, who is chair of the AAOS Healthcare Systems Committee within the Council on Advocacy. Welcome, Dr. Murray. Thank you, Kristen. Good to be here. We have a great lineup for today's conversation. I think that the two of you will bring a really important uh, perspective to this this growing trend, as we said. Uh, You, Dr. Bosco, coming from the hospital setting, and Dr. Murray, who um, has an affiliation with the ambulatory surgery setting of care. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Dr. Bosco. You've drawn a lot of attention to this issue and payment policy issues more broadly. You've done so in your presidential messages in press interviews. More recently, this was one of our four issues that AOS uh, advocated on as part of our in-district advocacy event in August. The association has also spent the better part of September combing through the 700-plus page CMS proposal, talking with specialty societies, and formulating its comments on behalf of our membership. So can you kick us off by explaining at a high level what's being proposed in this this outpatient perspective payment system rule and uh, how is it going to affect our membership? Well, as you said, it's a seven, it's a, it's a 700 page document. So I'll, I'll sort of boil it down to the salient points is that, you know, there's a thing called an inpatient only list, which is a list of surgeries that the government, CMS says, can only be done as an inpatient. And, uh, and so they're paid, at, they're paid at an inpatient rate as well. So, and, and, and this has many, many procedures. Uh, and, and at one time, it hit the knee replacements. Uh, and frankly, you know, the way we, we, we as, a, as a group, uh, the physicians, our, our profession has gotten a lot better at doing these surgeries. So now we can safely do hip and knee replacements as outpatients. They could go home the same day. When I was a resident uh, you know, 30 years ago, they would come in the day before and spend two to three weeks in the hospital. Now they come in the same day and go home in the afternoon, which is really amazing. But so we think that this uh, probably the inpatient only list may be a little anachronistic. It, it's, we maintain that the physician in, in consultation with their patients should be the one who decides whether the patient is done as an inpatient or outpatient and, the, and their side of service, not the government and not commercial insurance companies. So, and, and, and there are some, uh, some procedures on this inpatient only list, such as, you know, uh, attachment of uh, upper or lower extremity. So God forbid, you know, a patient has their, uh, gets run over by a trainer and their leg gets amputated and our, and our uh, surgeons, you know, spend a 10-hour operation uh, reattaching it, no one's going to send them home the same day. They don't, 
doesn't there doesn't have to be an inpatient only list because no one in the right mind would ever we don't need the government to mandate that they stay in the hospital overnight or two nights because no one's going to send that patient home so it's sort of ridiculous when you think about it that we have to have a list of, of cases that have to be done as inpatients no one's going to you know, physicians have the best interest of their patients. So although in general, we don't, we're not opposed to getting rid or, or eliminating the inpatient only list. That doesn't mean when the list is eliminated, these patients, these cases have to be done as outpatients. That means they can be done if the physician and the patient thinks it's right. And we've seen this process co-opted a little bit by some, some payers that say if the, if the, if the surgery is off the inpatient only list, it has to be done as outpatients which is not the spirit of the law. Right. And um, <clears throat> you you just mentioned actually the recent removal of hip and knee from that inpatient only list and some of the unintended consequences that resulted from that. Before we get into the proposal at hand um, and whether or not we think this is going to help our surgeon members, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dr. Murray. Um, can you expand a little bit more about the history with removing procedures from that list and how it is uh, impacted uh, patient safety and all the other aspects that go into delivering the optimal musculoskeletal care? Uh, sure. You know, I, I think at a high level, I would say this is a good thing. I mean, uh, this is a sign that CMS is putting more trust in us as physicians to make decisions in the best interest of our patients. And I think Joe uh, Joe's statement agrees with that. I think the, the concern is really the unintended consequences, as what, meaning people taking it and using it to their advantage. Um, and also, uh, are we prepared? Um, is the outpatient setting ready to care for all of the things that are currently on the inpatient-only list? And Joe mentioned a couple that, that clearly are, are not appropriate for outpatient and won't be anytime soon. But there are a lot of procedures that are and that in the non-Medicare populations already being done in the outpatient setting. And so I think this gives us an opportunity to try to fine-tune uh, what are the things that make sense to be done in the outpatient setting uh, based on our clinical judgment and and define ourselves? What are the things that really aren't close to being done there? And we should be having conversations more in the gray area in between rather than at the extremes of it. But I think I think there's a lot of opportunity here for orthopedic surgeons and for the academy to really define um, a, a, an updated list or an updated understanding of what's appropriate. Uh, I also think this is going to really push the outpatient surgery industry, whether it's HOPD or ultimately ASCs. I mean, the inpatient only list only means that patients can go from inpatient hospital to outpatient hospital. It, it's a separate change that happens if to allow them to go to the ASC. So this doesn't push them into the ASCs right away, although there is a history of that happening a year or two after this change happens. So I think this is a signal to the industry that, hey, you need to be preparing for caring for things in the outpatient setting and doing it in a safe way. And I think that's the right messaging to be sending that uh, as long as it doesn't end up just being a, um, a, uh, a, a pay cut without uh, any understanding of what it's going to take to do that. Right. And you mentioned, are we ready? Um, I'm actually going to quote some of AOS's comment letter because by the time 
our membership hears this episode, the comment period that ends on October 5th will have either just ended or be ending soon. Um, so in AOS's comments to CMS on behalf of its members, we said that we support the removal of certain procedures from the IPO for which there is evidence that they can safely be performed in the outpatient setting. We said we're mainly concerned with the removal of certain procedures that do not have data to support the appropriateness of their performance in the outpatient setting. And we believe that even with advances in medical practices, such as procedures, cannot be safely done in the outpatient setting currently. So, Dr. Bosco, going back to you, um, in fact, you did an interview with MedPage today in which you called this proposal drastic. Um, Dr. Murray talked about this being an opportunity uh, can you expand more about essentially what some of those unintended consequences were with hip and knee, um, specifically kind of the way that insurers and hospitals interpreted the policy change when that was recently done? Sure. And, and you know, the, um, the, the, uh, the government tried to explain their policy uh, in some called the Medicare Learning Network, uh, MLN, Medicare Medicaid, it's a, it's a, uh, a, a newsletter they send out, and, and you can read that newsletter 13 times and come up with 13 different uh, explanations. It's just difficult to interpret. It's a complex rule, the, the two midnight rules. So what happened was hospitals defaulted because they were afraid of, of, getting, uh, of getting in trouble financially for doing uh, too many patients as inpatients when they could be done as outpatients. Because they were afraid of rack audits, which uh, is is when the hospital, uh, I mean, the government pays contractors to to look back retroactively at, at certain hospital uh, procedures and make sure they were done in a correct way and built in a correct way. So hospitals were definitely afraid of these, afraid of these, even though the government clearly said they would suspend all rack audits for two years. So on the hospital side, a lot of hospitals defaulted to, oh no, you have to do all these as outpatients because we're afraid of getting audited. Uh, and, and the payers, the, uh, the commercial payers, started saying, you know, they 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 took the, the a removing a procedure like a knee replacement from the inpatient only list to mean they had to be done as outpatient. When when CMS was clear that removing a, a procedure from the inpatient only list means it can be done as an outpatient, not that it has to be, and that the final decision should may, be made up to the uh, left up to physicians. And that's what we strongly believe in. Uh, and, you know, we trust our, our, our members, our physicians to make the right, right decisions for their patients. But, but and, and then what uh, Dr. Murray said is true. There are plenty of procedures now uh, that in the, in the non-Medicare population have been done as outpatients. A lot of spine procedures can be safely done. But then, but then one thing that the, 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 uh, the rules don't mitigate is not only procedures, but the, there's a lot of social aspects, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, you have a 80-year-old a, a uh, female patient that lives in New York City in a four-story four walk-up, has no family. You know, kids live, uh, if they have children, they live 500, 800 miles away. There's no, there's no one around her. She can't go home the day after the day of a knee replacement. There's just no, she has no, no, no uh, support system. And that's very, very important people. So that not only is a type of surgery, but it's a, the, the social aspects go into a lot of this. And we can, we can pretend to ignore social aspects, but, but they can affect the patient's outcome. So it, it's, it, it's a complex, it's a complex process. But again, as we said, and I'll say 13 times, it should be left up to the physician 
in consultation with their patient, where and what venue and for how long the patient stays uh, in, 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 uh, in the healthcare setting. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think we often um, aren't allowed to take that into account, or we at least uh, it's not as um, uh, it's it's not as uh, clear that we can take that into account when they have these big swings to all inpatient to all outpatient. And I agree that uh, a lot of situations um, uh, people took it to the extreme just to simplify administrative uh, handling of it. Uh, or to take advantage of the opportunity. And I think whether it's a, a hospital pushing it that way for fear of retribution or a payer uh, doing that uh, to basically flip the game that you prior authorized to be inpatient instead of the other way around, you know, those are examples of, of uh, really not uh, being as thoughtful as we could be on how we manage these. And I think the, the opportunity here that I'm describing is really for us to participate in being thoughtful about that. You know, there, there are plenty of examples in, in uh, the healthcare systems committee. We heard lots of um, comments from our uh, members in rural areas where uh, the rule had been changed that, that uh, in with certain payers that it had to be done outpatient unless you could justify inpatient. And, they were in communities where there was no HOPD or ASC, and it, it led to a mound of paperwork for them on every patient. They had to fill out paperwork to justify inpatient care because it was you know 40 miles from the nearest uh, outpatient facility. And so I think um, the, those are examples of the unintended consequences that can happen when we have uh, rules that are all or nothing. And uh, as we know in healthcare, nothing's going to be all or nothing. I mean, even even routine outpatient procedures in the type of patient that Joe just described um, are probably going to result in an inpatient stay for some of those some cohort of those patients. And we just have to acknowledge that that's the case and allow physician discretion in that decision making, and also acknowledge it from a payer standpoint uh, in terms of risk adjustment. That you know, not every patient is the same, and it doesn't cost the same to care for everyone. And we need to be able to take that into account as well. Uh, as we as we right size the side of care, we need to right size the resources that are available to care for those patients. In AOS's comments to CMS, we talked about that exact point about needing that uh, patient selection criteria. We said that we asked we're asking CMS to set general criteria for procedure selection based upon peer-reviewed evidence, patient factors including age, comorbidity, social support, and other factors relevant to positive patient outcomes. Also, we ask CMS to provide objective data on the safety of such complicated procedures that are uh, never performed in the outpatient setting prior to allowing their removal from the IPO list. So um, I want to go back to you, Dr. Murray. Uh, you're, you're hinting at a really important point, and that is the opportunity that that AOS has to essentially lead other surgical spe specialties in the healthcare community. The, if this rule is is finalized and 266 musculoskeletal procedures are removed from the IPO list first, what can our surgeon members take into consideration and be thinking about as they make those decisions with their patients? Well, I'm, I'm thinking back to, um, I believe it was five years ago, four or five years ago, I spoke on a panel at the Specialty Society Day uh, for, for AUKUS at the Academy meeting, and it was about outpatient joint replacement. And 
Um, the majority of the people in the room were opposed to the shift to outpatient. It was viewed as a bit of a renegade um, um, thing to do. And here we are today with it being taken off the inpatient only list and being approved for ASCs for needs. And so I, I think um, we have to be cognizant when we say we need you know, uh, clear evidence that things can move. Uh, these things, uh, the, the evidence can be generated uh, oftentimes, um, you know, one relatively quickly and change can happen relatively quickly if we um, if we're uh, approach it in an innovative way. Unfortunately, our members are quite innovative and, and uh, have figured out ways to take care of their patients safely in multiple different environments. I just think um, it has to all be done with patient safety first. Um, as CMO, you mentioned that I'm in the ASC industry. I'm chief medical officer for a national uh, ASC company. And um, it's uh, our responsibility to make sure that before we take uh, a center and authorize it to do total joint replacement, that we've had a thorough vetting of the ability to care for those patients in that setting and that the right pre-op uh, clearance um, is being done, that the patients are uh, being evaluated for their home and social situation that Joe was describing, uh, that we have appropriate rehab in place to make sure that their post-op outcome is, is uh, as equivalent or uh, as they would get in the inpatient setting. And, and that takes a lot of work and a lot of pre-planning. And so this isn't just a, uh, a flip of the switch to be able to take a case from inpatient to outpatient. Uh, I, I think for the most part, they're, they're starting with inpatient, moving to HOPD, and then uh, eventually we'll move to ASC um, setting. Um, and uh, we, will, we will collectively, as a fellowship, figure that out. Um, I'm not sure that CMS is going to give us the data to do that. We're the experts here, and we're going to figure it out ourselves. And I think we need to inform uh, our, our fellows um, of what the, um, uh, what the best way to go about it is as we learn over time. And Dr. Bosco, um, the, the, the point that Dr. Murray made about there being such differences in our membership, um, he explained that there was sort of a renegade when this was proposed years ago before it was actually coming from CMS is something I'd like you to speak to. Um, you know, our membership is very diverse. We've got, we've got members in many different practice settings that may have different perspectives on this idea. Can you speak to how the AOS formulates its comments and presents a unified message on behalf of our subspecialty groups to CMS and other agencies? Well, Kristen, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we have our, our membership is a hugely diverse organization in practice patterns and geographic locations and specialties. But one thing we all agree on as physicians is we want to do what's best for our patients. That's one thing that unifies us. And the other thing is we want to be, we want, we strive for quality. We strive for improvement. We never accept the status quo. If we did, again, we'd still be doing open ACLs. Uh, we wouldn't even be doing ACL reconstructions. I remember when, uh, when some of the pioneers were doing ACL reconstructions instead of just treating them conservatively, people thought they were, they were crazy as well. So, I mean, there's been huge paradigm shifts how we take care of patients from operating on fr many fractures that we never operated on. So, so again, we, the thing that unifies our, my profession, Dr. Murray's and ours profession, is a commitment to excellence and, and a commitment to doing what's right for the patient. And certainly, and I'll give you a great example. You know, when we first went to uh, outpatient total joints, you know, some patients needed to be convinced 
And a great example as well, you see a patient and they had a hip replacement 10 years ago and it couldn't be any better because the hip replacement is a great operation. And that patient had a hip replacement and they can't imagine a better outcome. And they, they stayed in the hospital five days and afterwards they went to a, 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 a SNF, a, a certified nursing facility for three weeks. So then, you know, 10 years later, their other hip needs to be done and said, okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to do this hip uh, as uh, outpatient. And you're going home the same day. And think about that. They were, they, and they're like, well, why do I want to do that? Because I stayed for three weeks and I had a perfect result. So it took some convincing. That's why patients have to trust their physician. Well, then COVID came and guess what? Patients were happy that we figured out how to do these as outpatients, right? Because they didn't want to spend any time in the hospital. That's where COVID was. So to be able to do, uh, take care of a patient in a freestanding ASC or uh, a, a part of the hospital where they didn't have to be admitted, they were very happy about that. But it didn't start out that way, right? It started out by uh, innovation by our by by, uh, by our physicians and and education of patients. And when the need came, we were there able to do it. And and I think that's really the core of of what our profession is all about: innovation caring for patients and, uh, you know, never being happy with the status quo. Speaking of innovation, Dr. Murray's healthcare systems committee is always looking at these policy proposals that are uh, forthcoming, assessing their impact on our profession and our patient care. Um, Dr. Murray, when you look at a proposal like this and you begin to think about the long-term impact that this would have, and as we stated at the, at the beginning, the, the general trend of pushing procedures more so to the outpatient setting, what can you tell our membership about sort of the long-term impact this will have on patient care? So, uh, you know, I think um, the long-term impact it will have is largely up to us. I mean, um, the payers lay out incentives for us to do certain things, and then we have to respond to those incentives. And in the short term, we're trying to uh, reduce the unintended consequences, as we've, been, as we've been talking about here. In the long term, we're trying to do our job in the safest way possible for our patients and do it in a way that's economically viable. And I think um, as I look, you know, the Healthcare Systems Committee has spent a lot of time looking at what we call value-based payment models and uh, having the opportunity, an extra um, venue, an extra place to care for patients, um, not just being inpatient, but having the option of inpatient versus outpatient gives us another opportunity to find reductions in total cost of care, uh, to take uh, to have the physician decision making that goes into determining whether it's appropriate for someone to be done inpatient or outpatient, we can actually uh, benefit from that decision making that we do rather than just the the surgery that we do on those patients. And so, getting involved into the broader um, the a, a broader risk pool by essentially taking on. Um, responsibility for an entire episode of care, for instance, and having the option of caring for that patient, either inpatient or outpatient, in a bundle payment program, for instance, it gives you more tools to use in that um, in that exercise. And so, just as Joe talked about reducing the number of days in a skilled nursing facility for our post-op joint patients, that was driven by a bundle payment program. And I would argue that patients are getting more attentive care and more deliberate care as a result of that change in the payer model. So I think it's our job to figure out how we can use these changes to actually improve the way that we do care, rethink the way we do care, because today the inpatient only list restricts our ability to innovate. 
And um, I think we're looking for opportunities to innovate. And generally, when I describe a new incentive plan to a group of surgeons, by the time they get to the parking lot, they've already figured out six ways to make the system better. And so I have great faith in our membership that we're going to figure out how to do this safely, because as Joe said, um, our first our first obligation is is to make sure we do it the right way for patients. But the second is to figure out a better how to build a better mousetrap. And um, orthopedic surgeons are really good at that. So I'm optimistic about what we've got in front of us. Dr. Bosco, do you want to add anything before we close? No, I think, uh, you know, Dan Murray hit the ball right on the head. I mean, hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, we and his committee has done a wonderful job looking at these payment strategies. And it, 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 it just reiterate that orthopedics tends to be at the tip of this spear uh, of uh, value-based payment because because the government has CMS has, has looked at hip and knee replacements. It's a it's a it's a very uh, it's a high volume procedure and it's a costliest procedure for the government in, in, in totality. So they're keyed in on this, and they also it's not a, a, a it's not a accident that when they want to take things off the inpatient only list, they're going to start with 266 orthopedic procedures. So we've been thrust into the spotlight to be leaders uh, in this, and and folks like Dan Murray and his committee and his committee members are rising to the challenge and really, uh, really representing our profession and patients very well. Because as he said, we're not relying on the government to do anything for us. You know, we're we're the physicians. We we have primacy of patient interests in mind, and, and as a profession, we're self-regulating. So it's up to us to figure out, out how to do this, frankly. Dr. Bosco, Dr. Murray, you've provided excellent perspective on this topic. You know, looking back, it's been a pretty incredible year. Um, all of the the ways in which our doctors responded to COVID, um, the way that we worked with agencies like CMS to uh, remove regulations that allowed our members to provide better care, such as through telehealth and the expansion of physician-owned hospitals. So I, I love ending on the note that uh, we are at this unique intersection. Um, We have an opportunity now to lead the way for other surgical care groups, and um, the AOS will continue to advocate on behalf of its membership. So if any of our members are interested in learning more about this topic um, and payment policy changes more generally, you can visit our Advocacy Action Center. Um, And there we have opportunities for our members to engage on this topic with the IPO elimination, as well as on the Medicare physician fee schedule. Uh, I just want to thank you both for coming on and sharing such great insight into this, uh, you know, trending topic and an issue that will drastically change the future of musculoskeletal care. So thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org slash advocacy.